Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. So recently, one of my listeners forwarded me a TED Talk that she thought I would like. It was a talk by Reshma Sajani, the founder of Girls Who Code, and the title of the talk is Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection. In the talk, Sajani asserts that we are raising our girls to be perfect and we're raising our boys to be brave. She says, quote, I worry about our bravery deficit. She then goes on to say that, quote, the bravery deficit is why women are underrepresented in STEM, C-suites, boardrooms, Congress, and pretty much everywhere you look, end quote. And although I don't disagree that girls and women have been overly socialized to avoid risk, to not make mistakes, I do loathe the assertion that this is the explanation for our lack of representation at those highest levels of leadership. It is in many ways an empowering talk, and yet it is also unfortunately smacking of blaming women, fixing the women, and even women as deficit. She says those words overtly. The bravery deficit is why women are underrepresented. Now, in fairness, she is very much saying that the deficit is a result of gender social conditioning. So it is part, it's not your fault. And I like that part. But it's also part, if you could just fix your deficit, fix your deficit, fix the problem. So there is some irony in this, we don't need to be perfect messaging, because the talk itself and the advice it brings to change the way we socialize girls and women to be perfect, and that women should stop trying to be perfect, is to a degree another way we are told that we have a deficit that needs to be fixed if we are to advance, that we are somehow at fault for not making the changes necessary to advance. She says, quote, and even when we're ambitious, even when we're leaning in, that socialization of perfection has caused us to take less risks in our career, resulting in women being left behind. And this means our economy is being left behind on all the innovation and problems women would solve if they were socialized to be brave instead of socialized to be perfect, end quote. And again, I advocate for women addressing their fear. The research does show that women are indeed less likely to take risks. However, the research shows that when women do take more risks, make more mistakes, our mistakes are more noticed, seen as bigger, have more consequences to our professional capital, and are remembered longer. And I talk about this in depth in one of the first episodes of the Advancing Women podcast, and I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. It was episode five titled Fear of Failure. And if you haven't listened, you should check it out. But the gist is this. We just can't talk about risk, fear, perfection, and gender without addressing how gender bias impacts our fear and risk-taking, which then impacts women's advancement. 
How with risk, of course, is increased chance for failure. And we all fear failure. But yes, research does show that indeed women have higher levels of fear of failure and take failure and negative feedback harder. But again, this is not just about our gender socialization. It's about gender stereotypes and gender bias, in part because failure does have a more lasting negative impact on women. It's also about how women's lack of representation in top roles often adds to the pressure we feel. We feel the weight of our actions and mistakes as having a negative impact on all women because it often does. Former U.S. Representative Claire Booth Luce nailed it when she said, quote, because I am a woman, I must make unusual efforts to succeed. If I fail, no one will say she doesn't have what it takes. They will say women don't have what it takes, end quote. So yes, I advocate for women being brave. But the thing is, women are already brave. Often, that fear of risk is a consequence, not just of our social conditioning, but rather it's an adaptive response because we experience and have experienced those more severe consequences when we have been imperfect. Too often, explanations are oversimplified. You know, women just don't take risks. We can't take criticism. We don't have enough confidence. We sacrifice risk at the altar of perfection. All explanations that not only don't serve women, but also are really just the gender bias wolf and empowerment sheep's clothing. Notice the pattern. No matter how empowering the message of the talk, it still has smackings of fix the women, fix the problem, women's deficits. And so Johnny does poignantly acknowledge in the talk that trying harder is not going to fix a broken system. And here we are totally aligned. I couldn't agree more. But this acknowledgement also means that we cannot simply continue to identify deficit as the cause for social and structural inequity. We need to address the very real negative consequences when women do the things we are constantly advised to do to advance. What we truly need to do is fix a system that results in disproportionate consequences when women are brave, when we make mistakes, and when we fail. In the presentation, Sajani shares an anecdote about her friend who's a computer science professor who told her that in his office hours with computer science students, quote, when the guys are struggling with an assignment, they'll come in and they'll say, professor, there's something wrong with my code. The girls will come in and say, professor, there's something wrong with me, end quote. And yes, that is powerful and heartbreaking because we do often as women absorb the blame, largely because we often hear that when we can't do something, it's our deficit that we are indeed to blame. Consider the irony here. This anecdote exemplifies how women take on the flaw, the fault, the blame, internalizing the flaws when we don't succeed. But think about it. Isn't that the message here? that it is indeed our deficit that is stopping us from advancing. Remember that quote up front from Sajani? Quote, the bravery deficit is why women are underrepresented in STEM, C-suites, boardrooms, Congress, and pretty much everywhere you look, end quote. Here again, it's this narrative that women's deficit equals women's lack of advancement and potential. Something is wrong with women. Fix the deficit, fix the problem. And towards the end of the talk, Sajani makes a key point. She says, quote, 
We have to begin to undo the socialization of perfection, but we've got to combine it with building a sisterhood that lets girls know they are not alone, end quote. Actually, what we need to do is combine undoing our socialization with socialization that men are not, by nature, the blueprint for leadership. They are not the leadership default. And that traditionally male qualities, those agentic qualities of being assertive, tough, risk-taking, are not ideal necessarily in terms of leadership. Sure, let's talk about teaching girls and women to be braver, but let's also talk about teaching boys and men to be more empathetic. We must address power and how gaining power is too often seen as the currency of leaders, as the primary means by which things get done. The conversation of ideal leadership needs to include not just the traits we constantly try to infuse in girls and women, but also perhaps more importantly, the traits that we don't try to infuse in men and boys. We have to acknowledge the downside for boys and men in our social conditioning because it is often overlooked. Honestly, it's ignored. We ignore the deficit in what men don't learn about what makes a good leader. And look, I'm a gender equity scholar. I research and evaluate women's lack of advancement in top leadership roles of power, pay, and prestige. But the data and the outcomes in organizational leadership that result from men's deficits are not talked about enough, in part because we are always so focused on fixing the women. So that talk has very positive messaging, and my intent isn't to knock the talk, but rather to ask the question. Where's the complimentary TED Talk to Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection, titled Teach Boys Empathy, Not Aggression? There's been a lot of research and evidence from outcomes data in organizations suggesting that it is the combination of agentic and communal traits, that being competitive and assertive, those agentic traits are important, but also things like being interpersonally sensitive and helpful and empathetic are important. And I talked about this a lot in my episode a few weeks ago titled Tightrope Bias and the Likeability Dilemma. How those stereotypically male agentic traits are more valued and seen as more aligned with leadership. And the backlash then that women can experience when they attempt to be more agentic because there is often backlash for women when they behave in ways not seen as stereotypically feminine. It's damned if you do, doomed if you don't. And this is well proven in the literature. And there's actually a personality trait test called the Success Insights Wheel. It's sometimes called the color wheel personality test, and it's used in many organizations to assess their leaders and organizational fit. And it essentially includes many different yet seemingly positive traits associated with different types of leaders. There's four quadrants, blue, red, green, and yellow. And although most people have elements in all areas, it has been found that most people tend to show up in their careers within the constructs of one color. So green is the relaxed, caring, encouraging, patient, and sharing leader. This is the let's do it harmoniously leadership style. Then there's the yellow quadrant, which is the motivated, enthusiastic, sociable, and inspirational leadership style. This is the let's do it together type of leader. Then there's the blue quadrant, which is the logical, organized, analytical, questioning, and cautious leader. This is the let's do it right type of leader. And finally, the red quadrant, determined, demanding, competitive, driven, strong-willed, the let's do it now type of leader. 
So green and yellow fall more communal and blue and red fall more agentic. And the tests suggest that each quadrant brings strengths. But what we have learned from research, including research I have personally conducted, is that although organizations tout the importance of those communal skills, the green and yellow quadrants, it is the red quadrant traits that people tend to see the highest leadership potential in. It's the reds, the let's do it now, determined, competitive, aggressive, and demanding employees that land in those top positions of power, pay, and prestige. Yet the research also shows that those red traits should not necessarily be the benchmark. Indeed, there is evidence that there's a conflict between those traits that we actually prize and those traits that actually make great leaders. According to a Pew Research Center report on what makes a good leader, characteristics such as honesty, intelligence, compassion, and innovation rank quite high on the rating scale. And when comparing these traits between men and women, women scored higher in those categories. Another study conducted by Dr. Alice Eagley, a scholar on the topic of women's leadership, found that women tend to be more transformational leaders, meaning that they seek to develop others and listen more effectively, in addition to generally thinking more outside the box than their male counterparts. And we know from various reports, such as the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs report, that the top skills needed to be a successful, forward-thinking leader are emotional intelligence skills, empathy, listening skills, coaching and mentoring skills, and innovation and creativity. And the research shows that women tend to be better at using these quote-unquote soft skills. And an emerging body of research is showing that it may be empathy that is the most important leadership skill. New research is demonstrating its importance from everything from innovation to retention. A recent study of 889 employees by Catalyst found that leadership empathy has significant constructive effects in organizations, including innovation, engagement, retention, and inclusivity. It's also interesting that there is research suggesting that empathy is in more, part of our nature. In numerous studies, children as young as two exhibit empathy. So here we should be looking at how gender socialization may be leading to a deficit in a very necessary quality in boys and men. Where's the messaging that boys and men need to be more empathetic? We must rethink the qualities we see as ideal in leadership. Plentiful research has found that both men and women view agentic traits as more important than those communal traits to be a successful leader. And we have to stop seeing communal traits as a nice add-on for leaders. And that those stereotypically masculine attributes, such as confidence and assertiveness, that those are the defining qualities of the leader. And that is the case. Agentic traits are most valued, especially by men who are often the gatekeepers to those top roles, who have been socialized to prioritize things like confidence over empathy. And this revering of agentic traits in leadership may be infusing many of the dark traits we see in leadership. If you look at the epic leadership failures, scandals, tyrannical leadership examples over decades, from waging war to ethical scandals that have destroyed companies and many people's lives, regardless of the list you find, once you dig into the scandals, you find a commonality. Men were at the helm. Whether it's Enron, Volkswagen, Lehman Brothers, British Petroleum, Uber, Apple, Facebook, Equifax, all of those major scandals, all in organizations run by men, 
And yet we are still advising girls and women to fix all deficits before we can lead, to be perfect, from telling us to be more confident and assertive to nitpicking that we apologize too much while failing to see the deficits we create in our boys and men when we don't expect them to be empathetic or communal. We are doing a disservice to men's professional development by not encouraging them to develop their communal traits in order to advance to leadership. Traits that can be sorely lacking when we look at the evidence in terms of some of these outcomes. We tell men to be brave, confident, risk-taking, assertive, aggressive, to win at all costs. And then we're surprised when we see the shortcomings in leadership. And we can look beyond corporate leadership. Look at world leadership. You know who has loads of confidence and assertiveness and never apologizes? Vladimir Putin. Putin has been described as a political psychopath. People who have known him throughout his life have called him a, quote, psychopath since childhood who lacks normal human emotions, end quote. Indeed, the literature illuminating how many of our leading politicians and business leaders who have been described as narcissists is mounting. And there's a growing body of research that shows problems that can arise as narcissists then rise to power. That there are many negative interpersonal characteristics, such as lack of empathy, exploitativeness, a sense of entitlement, antagonism, and egocentrism can lead them to abuse their power and adversely impact those they lead. So this begs the question, the real question that is driving this whole episode, really, If most top leaders are men, and that is what the data show, and we continue to see and identify problems and deficits in leaders, why then is so much of the advice addressing personal trait deficits aimed at women? We can't just keep talking about how women need to change to get into those top leadership roles. We also need to talk about which traits really matter which traits are actually ideal in those top leadership roles. And we need to talk about giving men more of the best practice advice that they need that will help them to be better leaders, to reach their full leadership potential. This would create more gender egalitarian workspaces, which would result in a host of more positive and successful outcomes. Men are still in most top leadership roles. So focusing on men and the gaps for them, rather than the laser focus we have now on how women need to close their gaps, would be a great way to create stronger leadership. It would interrupt the women as deficit narrative and help men reach their fullest leadership potential. I often say less fixing women, more fixing the problem. But the real problem stems from not valuing enough in women and in men the very traits that we are trying to snuff out in women. We have so many examples of poor leadership and colossal leadership failures, and yet we continue to focus on things like critiquing women's vocal fry and telling women to stop apologizing. Yes, maybe apologizing can be undermining and that we don't then exhibit the highly praised confidence trait, but there are a lot worse things leaders can do than to care about others' time and to be empathetic and courteous, which is often what leads to the apology. I read two separate Harvard Business Review articles that address this, and in one, the author said, quote, the world would be a much better place and the workplace a great deal happier if instead of telling women to say sorry less, we told men to say sorry a whole lot more, end quote. The other author said, quote, the question isn't whether women are over-apologizing, but whether men are under-apologizing. Most of the problems organizations and nation have are the direct result of our failures to restrain or inhibit powerful men. 
yet we are perpetually worried about censoring women, end quote. And this isn't about men being bad or less than or unable to lead. This is about a workplace culture that constantly praises and exceptionalizes agentic traits, a workplace disproportionately focused on fixing women, expecting women to exhibit more agentic traits when perhaps the more effective use of that energy would be training men, expecting men to be more communal leaders. Again, as I noted earlier, we need the complimentary TED Talk to Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection, titled Teach Boys Empathy, Not Aggression, because there's growing research on what has been coined the dark personality traits. Former executive and emerging scholar in the field of dark leadership, Hilary Kosai explains that the term, the dark triad, describes three personality traits in leadership that we see, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. Narcissism is a personality trait that encompasses a person's sense of grandiosity, entitlement, superiority, and dominance. Machiavellianism entails a manipulative personality. People high in Machiavellianism lack empathy. They seek dominance and are ready to lie and exploit others to attain their goals. This is that goal orientation that we prize above all other things to the nth degree. And the third leg of the dark triad stool is psychopathy. And psychopathy combines impulsivity, risk-taking, and thrill-seeking with low empathy, callousness, and interpersonal manipulation. Psychopaths are aggressive, lack remorse, and will seek immediate gratification. You know who doesn't ever say sorry? Psychopaths. They don't ever say sorry. It's beyond time for a shift in the workplace from prizing traits that tend to perpetuate dark leadership in favor of organizational citizenship behavior. Organizational citizenship behavior entails going beyond duty to meet the goal. It supports performance by enhancing the organizational environment. And research shows that this type of behavior leads to very positive outcomes, such as improved job performance, less absenteeism, and better organizational efficiency and productivity. And guess which traits are correlated with organizational citizenship behavior and leadership? Yep, personality traits like compassion, conscientiousness, being other-oriented, and empathy. When we prize above all decisiveness and confidence to the point of overconfidence, it can have a negative impact and result in costly outcomes. There have been a series of studies done to compare how men and women handle stress in difficult situations, and leadership in those top roles is stressful. And the neuroscience and neurobiology show that women make better decisions under stress. A study by the University of Southern California found that under normal circumstances, men and women make decisions very similarly. But under high-stress situations, men tend to behave riskier, often resulting in negative outcomes. We tell women to be braver and to take more risks. But here again, where is the counter-message to boys and men to take less risks, to be more thoughtful and contemplative in their decision-making? So yes, certainly, let's socialize girls to be confident, to take more risks, and let's interrupt messaging that tells girls and women we are never good enough and that we have to be perfect. But we must also talk honestly and often about how the workplace reinforces gender stereotypes, how it favors agentic traits, despite the fact that proven in the research, communal traits are as, if not more important, and that there is a very real and very dark side to overemphasizing agentic traits. 
We must teach boys and men to be compassionate and empathetic. And we have to move from strategies aimed at advancing women via fixing women's supposed deficits to strategies aimed at infusing the valuing of the wide range of leadership traits that create balance and a more egalitarian workforce and better leaders. That's that blend of compassion and confidence of agentic and communal traits. And finally, let's get men caught up on the workshops and professional advancement training. It's time to consider the best practices that men can take away from their female counterparts. Training on empathy, focus on putting others first, and just maybe, in a world that inexplicably overpraises confidence, being more humble versus overconfident. Above all, training that stresses the importance of those interpersonal and communal skills that the data show are so important in creating a successful and ethical workplace. And each week I end with a manifest statement. So this week I will turn to a quote from Sheryl Sandberg who said, quote, in the future, there will be no female leaders. There will just be leaders, end quote. I hope so. But the way we get there can't be continuing to try to fix women, to make them more like men, even when some of those traits so coveted have been proven to have a negative impact. We must have more open, honest, and constructive conversations and action around ideal leadership and ideal leadership traits, moving it from the status quo, those stereotypical male attributes as the default or blueprint. Rather, let's listen to the research, to the knowledge we have gained, and create a workforce that reflects that, one that focuses more on fixing the real problems and less on fixing the women. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback, so please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast, and a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.